0: As part of our ongoing market research work here at Tech Emergence, we recently did a consensus with something like 35 AI executives and founders around future trends in AI consumer applications. But it's interesting to also take a look at what's actually happening now. Where is artificial intelligence and machine learning being adopted by businesses today? On this week in the Tech Emergence podcast, we interview Chris Nicholson, who's CEO of SkyMind.io. They offer technology and services in the environment of deep learning for Java. Many larger businesses need a Java solution for machine learning and deep learning, and they help out in that department. And Chris speaks with us about current trends in AI applications that he sees across industries and best practices that he's seemed to find for implementing artificial intelligence to gain a consistent ROI. How do we measure that? How do we determine that? And Chris goes into those details as well. Certainly a fun interview on my end. I hope you enjoy this one. So, Chris, where I wanted to start, and I've asked this question of, of a number of execs and sort of bigger companies and startups in the machine learning space, is it with SkyMind, you folks are, you know, tangibly implementing machine learning into bigger industries on a daily basis. Where are some of the trends of application that you've seen really had success, not just hip trends that people are using, but things that are really driving results and seem to be getting more popularity these days for machine learning and industry?
1: There are three main use cases that we've seen in the two years we've been doing this. And, and the first one is anomaly and fraud detection. Anomaly detection is identifying and surfacing unusual behavior, right? It's finding needles in haystacks. So if you apply algorithms, for example, to a million transactions, right? And you find some unusual transactions, uh, those unusual transactions are going to correlate highly with fraud. And you don't, you don't even need A labeled data set. Like if a bank is working on fraud, they don't even need to go through and label each transaction with fraud to identify weird stuff going on, right? So that that really lowers the barrier to entry for a solution like that, right? It allows us to work on a lot more data out there that's not labeled. And then, and because we have access to more data, we can build more accurate models of the world right like that's that's the universal rule of machine and deep learning The more data you can work with the better your model of the world is going to be so anomaly detection is huge it's something that we see in financial services telecoms e-commerce data centers and people monitoring hardware because with hardware the anomalies are usually going to be logs that lead to a breakdown right yeah So, so that's a big one the second big one um, is recommender systems. What, so what's a recommender system? A recommender system is a, is a way of suggesting to people that they might like something, right? So, so as humans, we all have some really basic and universal problems finding what we want, right? The world is a complex and confusing place. So when you're shopping for something, there's, there's a proliferation of goods and it could take you forever to find just the right thing. Now, what, what e-commerce companies attempt to do is, is filter all the myriad goods of the world for you and just propose the ones you're most likely to want, right? So if you go onto amazon.com's website, you see a bar on the homepage that says, you might also like this, right? That's a recommender system. And those recommender systems can increase your click-through rate uh, by by 2x, 5x, right? They can have a huge effect on how you convert customers, which has a clear impact on revenue. And, and, they, and obviously, they're matching people with the things that make them happy, right? So everybody walks away a winner. The thing to remember with the recommender systems is that it's not just about matching customers and commercial goods. You know, when if you're an employer, then you need a matching system uh for job candidates. You need to figure out who's the right match for a role. Or if you're a single person, uh, then then a dating app is gonna have is going to act as a recommender system, right? And and the better the recommender system is, the, the more quickly you will find someone who's likely to like you, right?
0: Um, can I can I go a bit deeper on that, uh, Chris? Just to to kind of tease out sort of the use cases that you're referring to. Obviously, you know, as mentioned, there's more than just uh, than just e-commerce. Uh, people tend to think Amazon when they think recommenders. You're bringing up all these other uh, interesting cases. I, I suppose this also, you know, Netflix. Right? We're not necessarily talking about another product per se. We're talking about other content you might like. You know, places like. You know, Forbes or other large media sites will have, you know, you might also like X uh, and who knows how how much actual recommending goes in there. But it seems like if they did it well, they could keep people on the on the site for longer. Is that, you know, from what I gather, you had mentioned anomaly detection in fraud. There's some carryover where if you're working with eight banks, you kind of know what junk looks like and you can kind of flag it as you know, flack if you work for bank number nine. However, in a recommender system, it seems like uh, because products can be so varied, you know, you've got somebody selling, you know, supplies for infants, you know, cribs and bottles or something, and somebody else selling, you know, mixed martial arts equipment. Um, It feels like in the latter case, in the recommenders, we really have to have enough data going through kind of that customer's own system first if i am am i mistaken as opposed to the the kind of fraud detection side of things you're making
1: a a really good point about how how gathering the right data is the precondition to deriving value with machine and deep learning right like algorithms are not going to do you any good unless you can give them something to learn on right and and you're also right that recommender systems are different than fraud and anomaly detection but but here's the thing every recorded transaction that e-commerce has is shows us what what a customer likes right so it's it's very valuable right So and that's different from fraud for example uh most transactions are not fraudulent at all right so most transactions there are are not pointing us in the right direction right but with recommender systems every single transaction is a map of the consumer's desire right yeah Yeah. so so you 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 can get started a a lot sooner with less data The, the the other thing is with with products, right? The way you can come at recommender system, you can come at it in two ways. Consumer behavior: what are people buying? Uh, so that's a user-user similarity test. Or yep. you can look at the items, right? The actual goods. You can. So you're right. There's a, there's way too many goods in the world, you um, like? um, right? But many of them resemble each other, right? So even without a transaction history, we can go in and begin to study the similarities between those goods, right? So, ah. so that we know which ones are similar to
0: each other. And, and yeah. it, that might be by images, that might be by product descriptions, that might be by... So so. some of this work can be done sort of pre-loading the system with millions of transactions. We might be able to glean some kind of starting point, I guess we're talking about here, Chris, just by looking at data that we can quantify about products that exist. We can glean a starting point, that's right. and That's cool.
1: And And frankly, for most businesses data, the amount of data you have is not the limiting parameter, right? Most, most businesses are not saying, how do I get more data? Because they're drowning in data, right? Like they, they have enough already. You know, the number of stores in America that have recorded 10,000 transactions, right? Which is, which is not much. Nope. Um, is it, huge, right? And if we have 10,000 transactions, we can begin to build a model.
0: Ah, oh, interesting. I, I've got an e-commerce business that does 10,000 transactions every month. But uh and, and I have yet to kind of go that route, but I didn't realize kind of where the thresholds lie, but that's curious. So, okay. So, slightly different cases in some regard. And we are going to go into kind of how to glean ROI from from implementing machine learning, which I know you've had to get a lot of hands-on experience with as well. I realize I cut you off uh with recommenders, and I think you had another one you were going to delve into. Yeah,
1: that, that's okay. So, uh, the the third big use case is predictive analytics. So, what is predictive analytics. It's taking a series of actions and predicting the next action. Uh, businesses apply that to CRM, to customer relationship management, and the use case there is churn prevention, right? So preventing people from abandoning you as a client for one of your rivals, yep. right? So, so a lot of the time, every business loses clients. It's an inevitable part of doing business. So you've already got a record of what it looks like when people leave, right? You can begin to study that phenomenon then apply what you learned to the clients currently using you and identify the ones that are flight risks, we could say, the yeah. ones that are likely to jump, right? And as soon as you know, knowledge is power, right? As soon as you know that they, that they might leave, you can act, right? And and it's your decision whether you want to pay more attention to them, offer them discounts, intervene, ask them questions, find out what how they're feeling about their experience. There, there's all kinds of things you can do to keep those people. And the reason why you'd want to do that is because it's much less expensive to retain a customer than it is to go out into the world and find a new one
0: certainly right. is
1: yeah so that that's one example of predictive analytics the other would be like turnover prevention so large companies are also looking at uh, their employees and trying to retain them as well like one of the hardest things about running a business is building a team uh, acquiring talent right and keeping people
0: happy. tell me about it so,
1: yeah right So, so yeah, those are two two main use cases for predictive analytics, and I guess we could talk about. Let's jump to ROI from there, because yeah, with churn prevention, as I said, it's it's a lot less expensive to to keep a customer, and that's that's a you can measure the difference in the effort you spend on keeping a customer and the effort and your customer acquisition costs. Right, Right? most people are monitoring those if they have a marketing. They know how much they're paying for each additional additional customer. And they know how long it takes to recoup those costs yeah. right? So there's a delta there. you can measure it the ROI is pretty clear. With fraud prevention, if a bank has a current fraud detection system in place and they a B test that against a fraud detection system with neural networks, right they can get a pretty clear idea of how much more efficiently uh, they're surfacing fraud, right and it's and it's really like every fraudulent transaction has a dollar amount attached to it you add those up and that's your ROI.
0: Yep. Okay. So yeah, actual quantifying return on investment, obviously quite a big deal. I want to get into um, the last topic you mentioned on predictive analytics there with respect to churn, just to put a little bit of sort of meat onto that skeleton of that idea, which which is obviously, I mean, it's, it's a use case that uh, we hear a lot about clearly sort of in terms of like where do we get the low-hanging fruit? Like, how about keeping the dollars around here? So, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that in terms of priorities, we'd go there. What is an example of what that looks like? I'm thinking out loud, Chris, and I'm I'm interested if you could correct my assumptions and maybe the assumptions of the listeners. You know, in a software company, churn prevention might be, okay, you know, people who leave tend to, you know, only use these two features if they use anything, and they tend to take maybe 45 days where they're logging in, you know, once a week at maximum. And if, if they've never explored these other features and they've done these things, then they tend to churn, Hey, when we see that we're going to do this. And then maybe with a, with like a consulting business, there's some other factors that maybe are harder to quantify. Like, Oh, they email us less often, or they, you know, what, what are some, some real life examples of that? Like, what are people picking up on to discern, you know, what it looks like when someone's starting to leave? Um, you know, just from your experience.
1: That's a great question, and it's going to vary business by business, right? Uh, For a lot of software companies, if they're offering software as a service, right, they're in a really great situation because they can measure uh, and identify every single time that a client engages with them, right? They can figure out who's opening their emails. They can figure out whether they're clicking through those emails. They can measure the, the amount of time someone spends on their site, where they spend it, and it, when you really dig into the meats of the business, you can get into specifics. If, if you're, so I used to work with an automated investment manager, what they call a robo advisor. Yes, yes. Right? Robo advisors um, manage money in people's accounts, right? And they rebalance it. Now, when people are engaged through their website, you can tell um, how how much people are kind of. Looking at certain sc- screens that give them information about their investments, you can also measure the markets and tell whether the markets are actually performing well. Which is to say, uh, you have a pretty good idea of whether their investments are growing, right? And therefore, what how how happy they're going to be with you, right? So yeah. that's a huge indicator. Yeah, yeah. Um And and if they have multiple investment accounts, you know, you can really measure their commitment by how many accounts uh, they're allowing you to manage and whether they recommend new people to join your service, right? Yeah, yeah. So. So, and, and then finally you can do um, surveys around something people call net promoter score. Yeah. Right. Yep. So you take all these things and you kind of put them into one vector, one column of numbers that you can feed to a neural network. And that neural network can look at all that stuff and the client responses and their actual actions and behavior, right. And come out with kind of a risk profile on how likely they are to stay or leave.
0: Ah, that's fascinating. So you can take whatever, whatever pipes of, of, you know, and of course, this this is where the human brain comes in here in in this process. Chris is determining what are the streams of information that we want to feed this thing to try to tease out, you know, churn likelihood. That is a at this point in space and time a human brain issue. Yep, yep, That's, yep. that's yep. where you get your smart people in the room. But then, but then once you determine those streams of data, then uh, you put it into the machine. You come up with some kind of scoring system. And then, possibly determine some kind of marketing or contact automation so that you can make sure that those folks don't leave so interesting, I imagine it is different business to business. I actually hadn't thought about the case of a robo advisor, but obviously uh a business that's proliferating these days uh with all the wealth fronts and whatnot of the world so okay, got it now you were you were getting a little bit into return on investment, and you were you were talking about you know testing and quantifying uh what that r o i is have Have you found a lot of companies? that are actually doing that? Or do you find more people just like finding a dark corner to experiment with AI or machine learning and going about it or, you know, you're tinkering with it in some way, shape or form? Or do you find, you know, a lot of the companies that you guys work with, or you see other people sort of adopting machine learning technologies and marketing or fraud or what have you, do, do you see it commonly done that, that they are tangibly benchmarking these approaches rigorously versus what their current options are? I do see that actually. That's yeah. good. It's hard. You can't
1: always benchmark everything, right? Yep. And there and there are intangible elements like user experience, where people might just choose qualitative uh, measures, right, rather than quantitative one. But for the most sophisticated users, uh, they're they're going to have existing solutions in place, of uh, and and they'll have a very clear idea of how they measure success, right? So with, with fraud, with fraud detection. It turns out that minimizing the false positives is one of the most important things you can do, right? Like, which is to say, you don't want to throw at them an enormous data set and say, oh, a lot of that, that is, you know, 70% likely fraud where they're going to waste 30% of their time, right? On, on those false positives. So for the big companies, they don't have enough analysts and they, and they can't waste time, right? So if you can give them a pure subsample where their analysts walk away at the end of the day and end of the day, and they say, nine out of the ten cases I reviewed today that were surfaced by this neural network we're, were indeed fraud. If you can do that, they're happy, they can compare it to their previous numbers, and know that they're spending their time um, in a more efficient way. Right? They're maximizing the value of their employees. For other fraud detection solutions, if you're just, say, feeding feeding into a larger fraud detection solution, maybe it's automated, and, and maybe, maybe they're um, deciding for themselves, yes, we are detecting fraud Better and and actually, we can go all the way down and say we are saving more money, right? Like like we're we're nailing fraud better. We're saving more mo- money, and we can attach a dollar amount to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. And then and then, and then of course, as you had mentioned before, a sophisticated user would benchmark that versus how much time does it take, and what are my tangible expenses for the other approach that I might have been leveraging. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So they will be able to A/B test it. Right, um, you know, expo- exposing the two fraud detection solutions to very similar data day after day.
0: Yeah, cool. So, yeah. Um, right. Any any final touch points? I know we're just about wrapping on time, and I, I I really dig sort of exploring real applications in the world and kind of lessons learned. And so this has been fun for me, and it's interesting to see. You know, as as someone who you know like yourself who's providing. You know the technology behind a lot of this, where you see adoption happening, I think it's very curious to see where it's getting picked up right now. What do you feel optimistic about in closing here? What do you feel optimistic about in in you know the coming you know two or five years or what have you uh for adoption of machine learning and artificial intelligence? are there any areas that you really think are kind of rife for a real overhaul with these kind of technologies that maybe are or aren't really getting picked up well now? In other words, you know, what do you think is going to pick up the most steam in, in the years ahead in terms of industry application?
1: Yeah, that that is um, a really great question. So the use cases I mentioned are, are actually in their full full bore implementation phase, right? So we we have actually solved problems in deep learning that most of the world hasn't implemented yet. And that's, that is just, Now, now it's the marathon that begins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To bring that to as many people as possible. That's happening, and what what that is like is you're you're replacing previous solutions, right? By showing people that you do better, but what you do better, but there there's another case where really deep learning is allowing us to do things we could never really do before, right? And you take the example of machine vision, for example. Yes, um, yes. We we can build algorithms that can recognize objects and images uh, more accurately than human beings, even ex- expert human beings, right? So we're we're asymptotically approaching zero error right for a lot a lot of those very important problems so so we're, we're endowing machines with the powers of perception right when exposing them to images sound time series and text and so so where will that take us that will be the foundation of many many new products right so kind of right now we we have a few car makers coming out with self-driving cars right yep. going on with drones you'll see companies coming out with more and more smart appliances that can actually listen to humans, right? Respond to their complex statements that are spoken, right? And do do the, do the proper thing, right? So that, that means they'll have a much better understanding of natural language than they currently have. Big time. Yeah. So we'll see the smart home get smarter and smarter.
0: Yeah. I, we, we just did a consensus with something like 35 AI execs and founders, not unlike yourself. And, smart home and chat bot slash assistants were sort of the trends that jumped out the most in terms of optimism so you're not far off from what i've heard other folks echo chris it's been great to be able to hear your insights and i appreciate you joining us here on the tech emergence podcast thanks again man yeah thanks for having me on that wraps up today's episode here on the tech emergence podcast and thanks for tuning in If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com, where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.